Welcome back to Bringing Down the House, a podcast of Iowa Heartland Habitat for Humanity. I'm Allie Parrish, Executive Director of Iowa Heartland Habitat. And today on episode three of season three, Building Hope, Jacqueline and I will be spending time with Ben Bruskern, Executive Director of Friends of the Family, a local organization that provides safe shelter, confidential services, and housing assistance to individuals in crisis due to homelessness, domestic violence, sexual assault, and human trafficking. You don't want to miss his difficult yet heartwarming story of hope. Thank you for tuning in and please consider getting involved with our local mission by volunteering your time or making a financial or materials donation. More information can be found on our website at webuildhabitat.org or by following Iowa Heartland Habitat for Humanity on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Bringing Down the House. I am your host, Jaqueline Madison, alongside the executive director of the Iowa Heartland Habitat for Humanity, Miss Allie Parrish. <laughs> woo, woo. <laughs> what? I heard that like 400 times, and it still makes me laugh. <laughs> You are welcome. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. As now, long as you don't make me do it again. I mean, I might. How are you feeling? <laughs> I'm, I, you know, I'm, I've, I have a little cold today. Are you a little sexy? I, well, yeah. A it's, little infirma? It's not the uh, the bad one, but it's still. Miss Rona? Yeah. I'm, com- I'm coming back from a little cold. <laughs> that, that happens. It I didn't happens. know regular colds existed anymore, but. They still do. They do. Well, and then there's this, like, this, like, <laughs> hybrid of, like, cold and flu. Yes. And it's like. Influcovenza or something. <laughs> I made that up. I do not work for the CDC. But it was like so crazy uh-huh. that this is a thing. Yeah. It's flu COVID. Oh, I, I, I'm glad I don't have that. That sounds awful. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> flu COVID. But it'd be kind of fun to say. It is. Like, it I is have fun. flu COVID. Yeah. Flu COVID. <laughs> flu COVID. Ah! Have you ever loved one been diagnosed with flu COVID? You may have a claim. <laughs> The things we could do with that. You know what made me think of is, did you ever watch The Office where they had the episode and the, they did the Office Olympics? No. And they, play, and they did Flonkerton. No. It was one of the games. What is Flonkerton? <laughs> I don't even know. I think they were like walking around on paper boxes like with their shoes <laughs> strapped on. I'm not even sure. I see. I, I'm one of those people that like I've seen the like the big pop culture things yeah. of the office yeah uh like i know of it if you like the cpr scene and mm. all those i've seen that mm-hmm. but i've not actually watched watch the office okay well then i don't want to talk to you anymore well you know what Allie? <laughs> that's fine just like 85 percent of the other people in my life so you're in good company you're in good company you know Allie, it is worth it though is it oh i thought you meant not talking to no me. <laughs> The office. I was like, wow. <laughs> First off, here's the thing. Alan came in hot today because she was like, we, because there's a lot of things that, we're, not a lot of things. There's some stuff that we record before we actually like do yeah. the podcast mm-hmm. that we have to do, blah, 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 blah. And Allie does it because she's the more most articulate of the two of us. Because oh. if I do it, it'd just sound like mush. <laughs> so Allie was over here. She's like, oh, I can't hear myself. Oh, I did not. She 100% did. She's Pretending not. like it didn't happen. You're like no, you're no. touch. you people can't see this, but you're touching your fake hair yeah. while you say that. You don't even. That I is not. So she's like, I can't hear myself. Can you turn me up, please? And so I was like, fine, Allie, I guess. So I'm over here, you know, working. I'm trying to prep and ready myself. 
I'm trying to go through my notes, get myself ready for this podcast. And then Allie's over here. She's like, okay, a little louder, too loud. Okay, that's fine. And then like two minutes in, as I'm still trying to prep myself, she goes, it's still too loud. I'm just hearing too much of me. And I just need that. I need the balance fixed. I really, really don't think that's at all that's how it went. And here's the thing. People <laughs> listening that know you, your lovely mother, your wonderful <laughs> sister, your outstanding husband, they're yeah. all shaking their head going, mm-hmm. No. Yeah? Yes? No. And because they know they're on my side. They are on my side. So pray for me, everyone. Honestly, it's just because my head is a little clogged up. I, I'm hearing weird things. <laughs> So she hasn't denied it, is what is happening. I did not do it the way you said. I know that. Like you just said, though, your head is clogged up. You're not hearing straight. You're not hearing straight, Allie. I know. So. I know. How's the volume for you now? It's great. (laughs) (laughs) I might jump across this studio and smack you, but but it's great. That's fine. The next board meeting we have is going to be quite interesting. It is. I feel that I'm going to get placed right next to her. (laughs) This is just going to be very scary. Can I I attend that virtually, please? (laughs) I think I I I might need a doctor's note. Oh, Oh, fun, 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 fun. Why do we do it, ladies and gentlemen? We don't know. But we do know that we do need to step into our step into. Words are hard. Words are You don't even have an excuse. Like a cold. (laughs) I really don't. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, let's jump into our mission moment, shall we? A couple of weeks ago, we were working at the house on Park, and it was really close to being finished. And we usually volunteer with Habitat just once a week, but we went back on a Friday that week and I got to go with Erin and help do all the finishing touches and the cleaning and everything. And it was really great to see how all of the hard work that goes into these houses, you know, it really turns into something beautiful that a family gets to live in. and. They help provide all food for the pantry and cleaning supplies and a whole bunch of stuff to help people get started and have cool stuff for their kids. And it just really makes an impact and is like an awesome way to help the community. Oh, that was nice. Yeah. And that was Alyssa from Green Iowa AmeriCorps. Yeah, she's one of our uh, kind of regular volunteers right now. Yay. And it's super fun. She's talking about dedication, of course, of the home dedication when it gets to that end stage, you know, and, and getting it all cleaned up and ready for dedication. All those, uh, she was referencing some of the gifts that people in the community give at dedication, leaving the house and just highlighting all the different partnerships. So it's cool. I, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but I'll say this again. I love the dedication. Yeah, yeah. Like I just, that for me, I remember the first one that I attended, I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah. And it's something that it just seems so simple in the sense of like, oh, we're going to give you the keys to your new home and blah, blah, blah. But when you stand there and you see the family and you see members of the community, a lot of the time people that, you know, are in that neighborhood or they um, participated in putting that together, that's just a powerful moment. It is. It is. It's the culmination of everyone's hard work. The home buyers, all the folks that help volunteer, but the donors, everybody just kind of coming together. It just brings it all together at the end. It's it awesome. really does. It yeah. really does. So I would uh, highly recommend people to uh, to attend a dedication. Yeah. Because those are just wonderful. They are. I love those. I really truthfully love those dedications. Me too. They and that and that gives you hope. 
It does. That gives you hope, especially when you have a dedication in a neighborhood that, you know, you're working on mm-hmm. and you're you're rebuilding and you're revitalizing, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I love that. And that, that really plays into our theme. It does. Yeah. And our guest today also plays into our theme. Yep. He has a, a wonderful story. So uh, he is actually joining us today in studio. Yay. So I am very excited to turn it over. He is the executive director of Friends of the Family. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's uh, hear a little message from Mr. Ben Brustkern. Names in this story have been changed to protect the identity of the participants. Lisa lived with abuse most of her life. When she was young, her father was an angry, violent man. Most nights he drank to excess and then took his frustration out on Lisa, her siblings, and their mother. He would yell, he would break things, and he would hit them. It was years before they were able to get away. They went to live with their grandparents until they were stable enough to move out onto their own. Just as Lisa felt safe and happy for the first time in years, her mother began to date a man that ended up being even worse than her father. This cycle repeated itself numerous times until she was old enough to move out onto her own. Lisa was so excited to get out on her own, to start the life she had always hoped and dreamed of, to find a wonderful man who loved and cared for her. They would buy a house, they would have one girl and one boy, and be the perfect family. She would be happy, finally. So when she met Eric, she was over the moon. She liked everything about him. He was tall, handsome, confident, and kind. Their whirlwind romance had them married a year later. Through all of these good times, she failed to notice the red flags as they came up. Very early on, Eric began to increase his control over Lisa. He had to know everywhere she went, who she was with, why she was home a couple minutes later than he thought she should be. He discouraged her from seeing or talking to her friends and family, always finding something wrong with each one of them that he would complain about. At first, Lisa just thought he was concerned for her well-being and wanted to make sure she was safe. She thought he was just being overprotective because he loved her. In her mind... He was so much kinder, and her life with Eric was so much better than the environment she grew up in. But his controlling behavior just continued to escalate to the point of checking the mileage in her car, taking away her debit card, and only giving her a limited amount of cash each week. But still, she thought it really wasn't that bad. She could handle this. If she just did what he expected, everything would be fine. Over the next several years, Lisa and Eric had two children, and she hoped that Eric would settle in and back down a bit. But that was not the case. As the stress of life and kids and marriage increased, so did Eric's anger. He yelled all the time. He seemed angry all the time. This had Lisa walking on eggshells every single day. And then he hit her. And she thought that as long as she kept the house clean, kept the kids occupied and quiet, did what she knew he expected of her, that it wouldn't happen again. But it did. It happened over and over again for years. He always hit her in places that would not be visible, on her back, her head, her torso. She found herself and her children in a very similar situation as she had grown up in, an angry, hostile, violent home. She could look back over the years and now see those red flags for what they were, an escalation that had brought them to this point. One night, like so many that she had survived, Eric came home from work mad and began to yell at Lisa about everything. She tried to calm him down, but of course, nothing worked. He finally left her alone after he had punched her in the head multiple times and slammed her head on the counter. She woke the next day and knew she needed to see a doctor. 
She went to the ER and told them she tripped and hit her head. To her surprise, they believed her. They determined that she had a fractured skull, prescribed a strong opiate for the pain, and sent her home. Once home, she knew that she couldn't continue like this. She knew that she and the kids had to get out. Over the next few months, as she healed from her injuries, she continued to take pills. Through the stress of planning their escape and the everyday stress of living with Eric, she was taking them more each day. And when each bottle ran out, she was back to the doctor to ask for more. They helped to numb the pain of all that she was going through. Before she knew it, she couldn't function without them. It was at this point that she knew it was time to leave, but she knew that Eric would not know what she was planning. The day came. Eric left for work, and soon after, Lisa and the kids got her in a car and drove away. She left her bottle of pain meds in the medicine cabinet. They left everything. She didn't have a clue where they would go. She had very little money, a bag of food, and clothes on their backs. For several nights, they slept in their car. While during the day, Lisa applied for every job that was, that was hiring. She knew she needed to get money coming in fast. By the end of the first week, Lisa had a job as a server in a restaurant. They paid out their tips and cash at the end of the shift, so she has cash on hand right away. She was able to buy the food they needed and put gas in her car, but she knew she needed help in finding a place to live. So far, all the applications for apartments she turned in were denied to, due to lack of income, having no address and no references. Lisa then called our crisis line at Friends of the Family, where she was able to get connected with a housing support specialist. This specialist offered Lisa and her teenagers safe shelter at our friend's house, where they would have a stable roof over their heads, while we provided support in helping Lisa put next steps in place. She accepted, and they slept in the bed for the first time in weeks. While in shelter, we were able to enroll Lisa into one of our housing programs. She was offered a housing program spot in a matter of days and connected with a landlord who was willing to accept Lisa and her children as tenants. The unit was within the kids' school district and not too far from her job. Friends of the Family Rapid Rehousing Program would provide financial support for up to 24 months in the form of deposit, rental, and utility assistance. This would allow Lisa to focus her income on other bills and supporting her children. Also, while in shelter, Lisa had, a courage, had the courage to report her husband to the police. She knew that she was in a safe environment where he no longer had access to her. Based on her report and the evidence from the hospital report, he was arrested for domestic violence. It was the first time in 16 years that she reported the abuse that she suffered through. Once the inspection on the property was complete, Lisa was signing her first lease, which was both exciting and scary for her. Next, we were able to connect Lisa with community resources for furniture, household items, clothing, and food. Her specialist was able to continue supporting Lisa's journey by working on a monthly budgeting and bill plan, allowing her to feel independent and in control of her finances. We also provided additional support in connecting Lisa with other needed resources such as the food bank, uh, child support, counseling for the kids, and general counseling and drug counseling for her. With the continued support of weekly check-ins, Lisa has been able to maintain her housing and employment and has been opiate-free for seven months. Her kids are doing well in school, and her oldest has started a part-time job after school. They are thankful for the support they received from friends of the family and the community. Lisa shared, I didn't think anyone cared about us. I knew he was going to kill me someday and knew we needed to get out. Now I have a safe place to live, and I have hope for the future. I can't thank friends of the family enough. I feel like I've been given my life back. And let's uh, welcome back Ben. What a powerful story. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's kind of feels like an everyday occurrence for our housing sports specialists mm-hmm. to work with people coming out of such trauma. Yeah. I just, every time I, you know, uh, well, truthfully, I mean, Ben and I are colleagues afar a little bit, or, you know, running two different types of housing organizations and and organizations in general. And so every time I hear or, you know, see what you guys are putting out or hear stories uh, like this that I know you guys deal with every day, I'm reminded truly how different our worlds are even even though we're both in the housing realm um and have different focuses with that but um i'll be honest you know those are not the stories that that we hear you know every day and what we're doing at habitat i mean that's that's tough yeah it really is and we're lucky because we have such awesome staff that they're just so passionate about the work that we do but it, you know, whether it's a survivor of violence coming into shelter and starting their journey there and seeing the bruises and the, the situations they've come through to having contact with an individual who's living on the street and starting that process towards housing for them, all of it is just such trauma-based stuff, mm-hmm. but comes back to positive solutions, I think, yeah. for everybody. Yeah. Well, and that's key. I mean, to speak on the hope element of it i'm sure when the families come to you hope is the thing that they're grasping onto i'm imagining you know that if they had no hope what would be the outcome right right i mean yeah. i mean i mean that that's absolutely true mm-hmm. and that's why you know we talk a lot internally about this story does center around somewhat of a shelter response mm-hmm. but shelter is not where people come to to overcome their traumas or to figure out what those next, you know, what those next steps are really as an agency, our first goal is once you're in shelter, how do we get you out of shelter quickly and into your own private housing? Understanding also that when you leave an abusive relationship, becoming homeless is a, is a very valid fear. Yes. Well, and I was just thinking as you were talking and during the story that becoming homeless is a choice. Like they, they're kind of in in the in the first step, they're kind of choosing homelessness over the situation that they were currently in, in a way. Yeah, imagine like, making that brave. decision. Yeah, right. like it, it's how not, brave? Not an easy choice. No, but one that you have to you have to be like, all right, it's and and and, and it felt like in Lisa's situation, it's life or death. Yes. Like if I stay here mm-hmm. in this shelter, then I, as she said, he'll probably kill me. Yeah. Or I can choose homelessness mm-hmm. and and possibly live and and get my kids out of a, a, a bad situation. So yeah, it, it it is a choice, but it's like I'm darned if I do, darned if I don't. You yeah. Know, like what 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 do I do here? Yeah. Well, and thank goodness for organizations like yours. Yeah. Yeah. Then yeah. let me ask you this. You know, Ali did a great job in the the preview here, and I think kind of people are putting it together. But as the executive director. Uh, to someone that doesn't truthfully know about your organization, well, you know, how would you describe it and your services? We really talk a lot about our vision is that everybody has a home. And every single day, we understand our niche is housing. Mm-hmm. And, and it really starts with the ability to rapidly rehouse people and provide rental assistance for six to 24 months. When we talk with staff, we, we, talk, we reiterate that message all the time, right? Everything starts with housing. 
And, and that's who we are as an agency, whether you're a survivor of domestic violence, whether it's human trafficking, whether you've, you've just experienced homelessness, and that, that is the, the prime factor. We have to start with housing to get you on the path that's going to allow you, you know, to really be successful, right? Mm-hmm. It's the philosophy, housing first. We don't need people to be housing ready. There's right. We don't right. need you to have already processed through everything that you've got to to help you. We need to get you there into that housing piece so that you can now move forward. And and it sounds so simple, but at the same time, it, it's really it's that message. We just push it all the time. Our goal: functional zero. Nobody waiting for for services that are experiencing homelessness. You're getting them within ten days of of coming into a homeless situation and there you go and that is just that's who we are that's what's embedded in us um up and down well and i love it because obviously our two organizations are very different very different Mm -hmm. and yet i think if we think about it in in a stair step type fashion and we think about it even in a hope continuum you know you guys are the start for these families you're the start of that either continued hope to be planted so that it can continue to grow and maybe they end up being able to work with our organization or end up ultimately with that greater stability, you know. But that seed has to be planted. Once they've hit the end of their rope, it has to start to be able to grow so that they can keep taking those steps and keep making that that launch really forward toward greater stability yeah i mean with the great work that you guys do it just it feels so far for a lot of our clients up front right and and we've talked a lot about how how you connect how we connect people we work with you guys and it just it always seems like it's such a challenge because we're still working with somebody nine to 12 months into their journey of coming out of homelessness yeah right where the credit is still bad or they're they're even starting to learn how to function to live in their own residence for the first time Mm -hmm. let alone you know home ownership but we but man what a what a great path that's the finish yeah and i believe it is you know i i do believe it is even if we don't see them coming that way even directly from one organization to the other i believe it is because i believe it's your you're planting that seed of hope and helping it and really really get rooted and then I believe, I have mm-hmm. to believe that down the road, they find themselves to either our mission or to just that stability that our mission provides. Yep. You know. Absolutely. Ben, let me ask you this. You know, again, everything's centered around hope and there that you have this this program that, like you said, you know, six to 24 months and, yep. you know, this whole rapid rehousing. And, and, and I don't want to, to counter what we're, we're talking about here today, but it's a process. And, you know, people like Lisa and others, you know, she's been in this abusive relationship for 16 years. And so I'm just curious, and how does your staff work with people that, I mean, it could be people that are listening that, you know, like, yeah, I want to make that change, but this isn't going to happen overnight. You, right. Do I just walk in all of a sudden, all right, cool. I'm, I'm, I mean, this, this is a process that we're talking about. And truthfully, and this is not, not all, you know, contradicting your, but six to 24 months, even that sounds fast. So, I mean, what support <clears throat> services on top of that uh, if at all, do they get? Yeah. So, I mean, it all starts with that crisis call, right? You know, someone's calling our crisis line and they're connected with an advocate and they start talking about their situation and what that journey is. Um, when you come into shelter, we've got shelter staff that are there to help keep people focused on 
getting out of shelter and getting into housing and talking through what are the factors from from that domestic violence incident that that's brought you here and how can we keep you safe right mm-hmm. safety planning becomes a key component but the the cool thing is once people are housed i mean that's that's the that's the meat of our organization it, you know the backbone is our housing support specialists who are in the home on a weekly basis providing case management services, connecting people to resources that they need to make sure that they can sustain the housing that they're in, to connect them to mental health counseling if that's what they need, to connect them to substance abuse counseling when they're ready if that's what they need, to work with them on their their financial um, capability, their budgeting, their, their, their employment, to help set goals, to help keep moving people forward so that they can exit the program, right? I mean, we can talk, you know, you talk about six to 24 months, but but as a program that is working to end homelessness in the community, we have to get people through the program because there are people that continue to remain to be homeless. Mm. And so we've got to get you the skills. We've got to get you to an income point. We've got to get you connected to the services that are going to help you sustain that housing. And then we've got to get moving to that next individual. Yeah, and, and I think that's really key, and, and I totally respect uh, what you guys are doing, and and I think unabashedly, you're not you're not saying that you are creating permanent stability. You know, let, let's be clear, you're yep. creating, you're you're um, removing, reducing, or getting rid of basically homelessness. I mean, that's different than, you know, the ultimate stability we right. hope for all families right. in more of what we take it than at that point. But I think. So there's a lot in the middle that's really important. But like you said, but that that's why, I mean, honestly, it comes back down to hope. Because if you can see through all your issues, if you can keep hope alive and all the stuff that you guys are doing in that 6 to tw- 24 months or what have you is so that they can keep going. Yep. Whether they're moving a little bit after that or whatever, but they have that stability vision now. You get a housing support specialist that believes in you. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and it's, it might be a while since you've had someone that believes in you yes. and that path that you can take. Yeah. Well, I think of especially having someone believing you and then the trust. Yeah. Having to build that trust, you know, from from your staff's point of view and from that victim or that person that needs housing as well. Because, again, I, I, I just... I, you hear these stories all the time, yeah. but it's not until you're in a moment like this, you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. You, you forget. I mean, 16 years. Yeah. 16 years. Mm-hmm. And she kept thinking to herself, oh, yeah, no, this is going to be fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, this is, he's going to change. And, and, and the amount of trust she placed into this man mm-hmm. until finally one day she realized he's going to kill me. Yeah. So I can only imagine what it is like to go and retrust someone, not even as a relationship, but just yeah. I'm coming to you know Ben and his staff because I need home. It's like, but can I trust them? Mm-hmm. I trusted someone that I thought I loved for 16 years. Can I trust this person to actually find me a home? Yeah. You know, and that's the resilience that you just see from from people yeah. that we see from people every day. I think that is the biggest thing that I uh, that walks away when we talk about hope yeah. is. You know, 16 years of trying to re-change, relearn a lot of things. Yes. And, and trust being and, a factor. And trust that. being yeah. a factor. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and like you said, that continuing of like, no, I, I, there, there's this hope. I'm going to get out of this. I, 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 can, I can have a better life. You know, people 
they keep continuing to hope for the best, right? So you stay in the relationship for 16 mm-hmm. years because you think something's going to change. Mm-hmm. People become, you know, they experience homelessness be- because they think, you know what? I'm going to get my rent covered this next month. Mm-hmm. I'm going to figure it out. I've always figured it out, right? Mm-hmm. Because because people are resourceful. Yeah, They've yeah. always figured out, right? I can buy one more month. You know what? Give me 10 more days. I'm going to get it figured out. And eventually it runs out. Mm-hmm. And then they find themselves in situations like this where where they end up needing hope. But I think, you know, sometimes we forget to give credit to people like they they stay with that hope for so long. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's 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 the downfall and the success. Yep. You absolutely. Um, I, I heard I, I wrote down a quote today that I thought was really kind of cool about hope. But in a way, having hope links your past and present to the future. You have a vision for what you hope will happen. Whether it does not, just envisioning it can make you feel better. And if it's something you can somewhat control, like people working to get out of poverty, then hope can motivate you to take whatever steps you need to take. And Mm -hmm. I just think about that when I think of you. It's like, you know, they have to be able to see it. You help them see it and, and probably deal with the reality of what they saw before that wasn't good. See a new future. See a new possibility a new life, a new hope, yep. and, and then help them figure out a way to get there. And then they see that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And they're able to, tr- you know, I think one of the cool things is they're able to trust us because we do follow the housing first model. And, you know, yeah. five, six, seven years ago, you drop a dirty UA or you do something wrong. We kick you out of your housing. Right. That doesn't make any sense, right? Like, you're you're kidding me. Like someone that experienced homelessness went back into substance abuse at some point in time or... Right. I mean, we have to give people leeway and understand, just like any of us, we make mistakes. Yeah, they're um, human. Yep, but it is still, they can still be on a successful path even when the setbacks occur. Yep. Well, and like what you were saying, Ja'Kalen, like they're not going to get it right immediately. Oh. Nope. Like they're not going to get it right immediately and the first time it might take, I'm imagining, yep. several times. Um, yeah. You know, I, I just have to say, and this, this is truthfully me and, and my own thoughts. I have, I have not been paid for anything that I'm about to say. <laughs> uh, but I, I as, a, as a member of this community, it just, it, 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 it makes me so, I don't know if happy is the word I want to say, but it, it, it's a positive effect on me that there are organizations like uh, Friends of the Family and Habitat that have this this systemic way of fixing an issue that someone presents to them. Mm-hmm. It's not like this over-the-night, fly-by-night, like, all right, cool, here you go. Well, we're just going to hand you this paperwork, boom, you're done. But it's it's literally, you know, we have these steps in place, and we are going to try and retrain what you've been doing mm-hmm. so that we can get you in this in this spot so that when you do leave our program, you're successful. Mm-hmm. And, and that, to me, just... As a community member, I, 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 that's just, it's a blessing that we have those types of organizations that are not just trying to put a band-aid on the wound, but it's saying, actually, okay, let's put a band-aid on the wound, and if this wound happens again, let's teach you how to heal it. Mm-hmm. Let's teach you how to fix that. So I, it just, and hearing this conversation, and housing, you know, Allie, obviously, we've, we understand, yeah. and all of us in this room understand the importance of it, it that just, it's so wonderful that someone at their lowest point can can get these types of resources. Yeah. yeah, and it's, you know, when you talk about, like, not putting a Band-Aid, it's why, you know, my favorite quote that I use with staff all the time is, shelter is a process and housing is a solution. Mm. Shelter never solves homelessness. Yeah. It's only a step of the process, mm-hmm. but you only solve homelessness through housing. You don't do it through giving socks. You don't do it through, 
you all, housing is it. Yeah. And we lose that. I think sometimes people that, that provide homeless programming, they forget that. Mm-hmm. Or we start to feel like, well, we have to build more shelters. We have to create more shelter beds. No, we need to create more permanent housing options for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and then the other thing I was thinking about when you were saying that, Jacqueline, just speaks to me to the resilience of people yeah. and, and ways that we often don't give them enough credit for is that, I'm sorry, but families that raise their hand and come to Ben's organization or to Habitat, you know, are incredibly resilient and are already stepping up to say, I'm not expecting you to fix this one for me. I know I'm going to come in and have to do some work on this myself. And I just am looking for a partner. And that's kind of how I view, you know, a lot of the families, definitely the ones in our program, but yours as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, it it takes someone with a lot of um, courage to, to ask for help. Yep. there's all there's a lot of courage in asking for help and so for people to be able to to have that courage to come to either organization and say i need help is just you know they they've they are stronger than what people give them credit for i agree so yeah Uh, ben thank you so much for sharing that wonderful story uh and thank you for your organization yeah well you know i'm just lucky to be in that organization Mm -hmm. and to uh, think about all the awesome, you know, teammates that that I have over there, and the people that are just as passionate that I am about this. I mean, they just match it, and they're they're such a great group of people. And I got to tell you, this has been an absolute blast. I appreciate <laughs> you guys inviting me in and letting me tell the story, but also just kind of banter a little bit because yeah. this is a lot of fun. Yeah, oh, good. Love we, having you. Here. We have fun. Yeah, we we do love having you here. And uh, Ben, if it's okay with you, we'd like you to stay. Uh, so you can uh, claim or lay witness to me uh, completely just wiping the floor with Allie <laughs> and trivia. Ooh, all right. All, all right. right, cool. So uh, let's, let's, I'll put a little bet on this then, huh? Uh, let's do it. Let's do it. Hey, the Super Bowl's coming up. So, I mean, well, I don't know. He knows. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome into the podcast Nora. Hello. Oh, she just comes She's in. back. Hello. I love it. It's so sweet. Hey, you know what I was thinking about, too, as we were transitioning is for us to keep our hope to keep going forward with all of the hard work that we do in our in our uh, worlds and Ben's in, in particular. We have to have fun, right? This is true. So fun matters. Fun yeah. does matter. We, we probably have a little too much fun sometimes, which is have you who met, we are as an organization. Have you met me and Allie? Yeah. I mean, yeah. come on yeah. now. I know. Exactly. I've been banned from interviewing because I've been told I have too much fun in interviews <laughs> and that they get carried away. <laughs> I, I love will, that. I, I will interview you any day. So <laughs> whoever says that, well, poo-poo to them. Yeah. Come into a job interview with us and I can't be there um, <laughs> because I guess I'm irresponsible and, and no. have too much fun with it. No. You're, you, you'd be allowed in every single one of ours. So. All right. Let's go. <laughs> I get offended easily. So. <laughs> Allie, as Allie has learned, I just get offended easily. And everyone listening goes, well, what's new? <laughs> All right, Nora, what's the answer? All right. Oh, what's the answer? So. I thought maybe I'd get her with that one. I'll She's give you the smart. question. She's too smart for and that. And you give me the answer. Oh, All right. gosh. What year was the first emergency housing service for women impacted by domestic violence opened? Oh. That's too tough. Okay, I have a year. Already? Well, I don't know. I guess. Cripes. I was thinking, I was trying to think of the history. Do you know, Ben? I don't. Oh, if, if okay. this is just in general, oh. I have no clue. Okay, okay. Well, you have to come up with an answer. And you get to go and first because you're the guest. Wait, wait, wait. Oh. I have to write mine down first, though. Um, 
Why are you looking gonna, at me? I don't know. She was like, is, is yeah. it? <laughs> she looked at me anyway. like I do. <laughs> All right, Ben, what do you think? 1990. Okay. Oh. Allie? What is wrong with me at estimating? I'm saying 1927 over here. Sweet. Did, did we have phones at that point? <laughs> Where I, what did Alexander? I just want to know. Hold on. He I just said, have to, She said I'm, emergency shelter for people with domestic violence. Didn't you say hotline? No. A shelter. Oh, she said hotline. <laughs> she literally oh. stared at you and said no. She did. She had an attitude. Okay. Well, I thought. Yeah, I thought you said don't hotline. Don't change your answer. I'm not. No. 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 <laughs> I'm not going to change your answer. Right, so thing. don't try to come back We're towards my day. We're competitive around here. We really are. This is violent. What's your answer? So I'm going to say 1983. <laughs> Good God. Here, I, okay, okay. So first off, I will say the hotline came after the first shelter. Well, so just sense. to know that. Okay. So maybe so, you're closer on I that have answer. Hope. I have a hope. But <laughs> the Roaring Twenties, ladies and gentlemen. It was 1971. Oh, I was. You know what? I was thinking 70s. Because here's the thing: the 60s were a lot. A lot happened in the 60s. Yeah. And so I was thinking of all the stuff that we went through as a country, and I'm like, all right, well, I can see that maybe we would have done something like this, and maybe like the mid 70s. So then that's why I was like, but we're pretty, we're pretty slow to respond here in America. So that's why I said 1983. Processing in about four seconds. I went. That was my whole. That was quality process. That was a lot of that. That was a lot of give him that. No, (laughs) she's just upset. I had a seven in my answer. Song was also founded in 1842. Exactly, exactly. As were their outfits. Their outfits, yes. Outfits were 1842. Oh, well, Nora, back to her old tricks. You know, this is why I'm calling my agent. This is ridiculous. For three seasons now, I have had to have conversations with my agent about the process of this show. <laughs> and for three seasons, I just get overlooked. So oh, now the lawyers are coming sad, in. Sad uh, sad our tale. next guest on Bringing Down the House, Ja'Kalen's lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> he lost hope, though. Yeah, he, 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 <laughs> <laughs> the one story of losing hope. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We're, we're going to read my contract. Okay. We're going to read my contract and all of the, the, the hope that I lost. I was going to say, it'd be my therapist, though, be the one that lost hope. Oh, God, my, mine listens to this podcast. I just found that out. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. What a quick way to... <laughs> That's a great idea. My dad just listens, and I don't know how I feel about it. And she's listening to this one right now. Hi, Linda. Oh, she's a 
got so much great material oh. for your I'm next crying. visit. I'm crying so oh, much right now. But like, I'm, I'm not crying how I typically cry in your office. I'm just letting you know that right now. It's a different type of crying. It's Linda happy tears. going to be okay. Oh, sweet Jesus. We need to go. We need to go. That is, ladies and gentlemen, uh, again, thank you to our guest, Ben, uh, for Friends of the Family uh, and the, the wonderful story that you shared. Uh, my mouth hurts. I know. I, don't, I always come out with cheek pain because I'm laughing so hard. Oh, my gosh. I, man, uh, it's, it, it, what a day. What a day. No, but thank you, Ben. Yes. It's awesome to have you here. Absolutely. Yeah. And your organization. Thank you very yes, much. thank you for everything you. you do. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, I have been Ja'Kalen Madison. She has been Allie Parrish. We thank you so much for joining us on this edition of Bringing Down the House. And we can't wait to see you next time at the same place you found us. Take care, everyone. Bringing Down the House would not be possible without the tremendous support of the CC Podcast. If you're looking for daily devotionals, inspiring conversations with interesting Christians, or listening to a weekly worship service, the CC Podcast is for you. Their podcasts are available wherever you're listening or at christiancrusaders.org.